This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're, 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 you're listening to the podcast for all of the news, notes, and breakdowns for your Ohio State Buckeyes. This is Sons of the Shoe with Nick Wilson and Spencer German. Sons of the Shoe rides again. Nick Wilson, Spencer German here with the latest at Ohio State. We have more staff news coming out of Columbus. We have the, the, the it's the fifth Beatle, the 10th member of the coaching staff has officially been announced. There was a nasty bit of rumor surrounding that now 10th assistant in Columbus. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this. A lot of people still saying a lot of things and a lot of panicky things about the state of college football. But we're going to start the show with a guest. Spencer, by the way, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. Uh, it was a little weird doing the show without you earlier this week, but um, I think we had some good conversations, and I'm actually excited to – not not repeat the conversations, but get your perspective on some of the conversations that I had on Tuesdays or on Wednesday, rather. So it should be fun. I'm ready for that. But in the meantime, we got to welcome on a, a guy who wrote a hell of a story on incoming potentially AD for Ohio State, Ross Bjork, and some of the allegations that have followed him from his uh, first major Power Five job at Ole Miss, then to Texas A&M, and that now inevitably fall at the doorstep of uh, the beloved Ohio State. And he is Ohio State football beat writer for the Columbus Dispatch, Bill Rabinowitz. Bill, welcome to the show. Nice to be on with you guys. How are you? Well, um, I gotta say we have we have debated about this Ross Bjork hire multiple times, and we've even debated how much does the AD matter now, or how has the AD job changed. So when your when your piece came out, I think it's the first Columbus based piece that really gets into why this has become a controversial hire. So kudos on kicking ass on the piece. And the second thing is really like. Can you just kind of encapsulate without giving away everything in your wonderful story that people can find on the Columbus Dispatch? Can you encapsulate kind of the criticisms at Ole Miss and then the criticisms at AM? Yeah. Um, uh, my story was really just about Ole Miss. I didn't really get into the AM stuff. Um, we're going to, you know, get into that. Not, well, we're, as a paper, we're going to get into that also. Um, you know, that, that one is probably just more of a very, very bad misjudgment extending Jimbo Fisher's contract and then not having a, uh, clause in the in the contract that would get them out of paying the full amount. But th- what happened in Ole Miss was in some ways fairly simple. Um, you know, Ole Miss has always kind of been in the shadows of Alabama and LSU, and, you know, they've always wanted to be a major program. They hire Hugh Freeze um, to replace Houston Nutt, and then there are these 
rumors of allegations or even more than rumors people some reporters you know had pretty much had it and this it kind of came to a head in 2016 right around signing days when this kind of hit and they were all you know understandably panicked about losing this banner recruiting class that they had coming in i mean it was like an unprecedented class for Ole miss and so According to the people that I talked to, and Ross Bjork, Ross Bjork has denied this, and the uh, ex-chancellor who I talked to also denied it, um, believe that he that Ross Bjork either told or directed others to lie, mislead, pick your pick your verb, um, to tell recruits and reporters that this was all happened under the previous coach, coach Houston Nutt, not under Hugh Freeze, which means that whatever penalties they would get probably would be not as bad because it wasn't the current regime. So according to the people I talked to, there was this kind of this plan to say, don't worry about it. All's all fine. You know, the Kevin Bacon character in animal house, don't worry all is well. And, <laughs> and there, there, there was real cause. I mean, most of the infractions did take place under Hugh freeze and, and the reporters, you know, felt duped. Um, the recruits, or at least their fathers felt like, wait a minute here, you know, we were told one thing and it's the other, and they should have known, and they probably did know. Um, there is some question about the timing of it and what what Ole Miss knew and when, um, but I also know that when there is an NCAA investigation, they don't keep it a secret from the school. They want the school's cooperation. So long before the notice of allegations ever sees the light of day, the school has a pretty good clue what's what's going on. Bill, um, something you wrote about in your piece that I, I thought was interesting and just kind of projecting, I guess, into the future at Ohio State was that, you know, Ross talked about how he feels his experience, his past experiences, particularly at Ole Miss, where, where that was kind of the first time he dealt with something like that, where where he had these NCAA violations against him and, and the, the program that he was helping oversee as AD um, and how that kind of has has prepared him now for almost anything that could come his way as he, as he comes to Ohio state and takes this job. Do you think there's room for some latitude here in terms of believing that he has learned from that previous experience and that if he was faced with something similar now that he's changed in the way that he would maybe approach it and, and go about that situation? I, mean, I hope so. I think people can change and learn and grow. So, uh, I mean, he's a smart guy. Uh, you know, if you meet him, he's, he's, um, you know, it kind of comes out of central casting. I mean, he's he's a nice looking guy. He's got a firm hand. I mean, you know, he's he's very good at fundraising. Um, he's, you know, I, yeah. Do I think? Look, I think anyone can learn, and I'm sure he kind of felt like he was thrown in the deep end. He was. He did not hire Hugh Freeze. He inherited Hugh Freeze. He probably tried to make the best of a of a tough situation. There was a lot of. Uh, I think they went through three chancellors in the time that he was at Ole Miss, so he kind of had to be the guy because he was the, the guy who'd been there the longest. So he kind of got thrown into the deep end. Um, now, the, the the quote, I don't have that story in front of me, but I think the quote from the Ohio State president was, it was a Navy background, said, uh, a, a calm sea never produced a good sailor. And and kind of the premise of the story was, well, did he cause, the, did he cause that, that rough sea? Um, and so... It's an open question. You know, I do know that there are a lot of people that question the hire that knew about his history at Ole Miss, knew about his history at Texas A&M, and were like, you know, this is what they, 
this is the best they could get. You know, there were there were proteges under, of Gene Smith that people thought would be strong candidates. Pat Shun at Washington State, Martin Jarman at UCLA. Um, but I think it's pretty clear that Ted Carter, the new president of Ohio State, wanted his own guy. And I mean, that's what I've been told. Um, I don't know that. Ted Carter didn't, didn't directly answer that. I've not talked to him about that. So I don't know. But it, it was a it was a surprising hire. I'll put it that way. I'm I'm just curious. You know, you mentioned in the piece that he still has to be formally approved on. I think it was February 22nd. Yeah. Um. As these things continue to come out, is there any sense whether Ohio State could get cold feet? Because, I mean, the allegations here are pretty damning, and it's it's kind of the thing that at a school like Ohio State would be something that would tarnish a pretty well crafted image under Gene Smith and under what they've done with their coaches in, in all sports the last, you know, 30 years? You know, I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't cover that part of Ohio State. I mean, in our reporter who does, um, I've not talked to her like since uh, today, at least, or, you know, since early yesterday. Um, she, we have not heard anything from Ohio State, which I take as a compliment because if there was something inaccurate with the story, I'm sure they would, they would have voiced that. Um, I, I don't know. And I don't have an agenda. You know, it's not my place to say they should hire or not hire this guy. It's, I just try to write the story, the best story I can write, the most accurate story I can write and let the chips fall where they may. I, I don't, I don't have a, a horse in this race. I don't know. You know, I mean, generally speaking, Ohio state's board of trustees is a rubber stamp for the president. I mean, they, it's not typical for them to kind of go against what the president wants. Um, so I think it would have to, it would take something pretty strong for that to happen. Whether this story or anything else that might come out is that I, I, I'm not the person to ask. Bill, I feel like from our perspective, it, it, I think it's hard to just when you're not around the program or around Ohio state athletics every day, or part of that, that world to like really assess, like, what does this AD bring to the table? Like you're kind of just basing it off of, some things that you wrote about, like what happened at Ole Miss, what happened at Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher, like that type of stuff. So from our perspective, it it feels to me like the the fundraising piece, and, and I know that's such a valuable thing for, for ADs to be able to do nowadays anyway, but it seems like that was maybe the big piece as to why they liked Ross Bjork. Do you get the sense that that's true, that, it, that this was maybe on top of it being kind of a, well, I want to bring in my own guy, it also sort of just pointing to we think this guy could really do us wonders in this NIL era, especially with the fundraising side of things. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the number one job of, a, of an athletic director is, is fundraising. It's kind of like the number one job of a football coach is recruiting. I mean, it, yes. And he is a very good recruiter or a very, I'm sorry, very good fundraiser. Um, you know, but the, but like Texas A&M, for example, I mean, there's a lot of money uh, in Texas, you know, oil money yeah. and stuff it's not it's not that hard but what i've been told by several people is that you get him in a room with kind of the, the fat cat donors and he's really good that he's very charming and very persuasive and um hey that's that's a big part of the job. gene smith is like that i mean gene yeah. smith is a schmoozer that's part of the job <laughs> and uh but you know there are ways to go about it that uh, i mean gene smith i don't think anyone well Gene Smith has his critics, but by and large, I think people think that Gene Smith acts above board, that he has, uh, you know, certainly has a very good reputation. You know, Ross Bjork's going to have to prove that. And only time will tell. I, I, 
I don't know him well. You know, I, I will give him credit for talking to me for the story. A lot of people would have just said, no comment. It's, it's 10 years ago. I'm not even going to touch it. Why are you even bothering? He never questioned why I'm doing, why I did the story, the right of us to do the story. You know, so I give him credit for that. And yeah, there were some things he didn't want to answer and, and fine. I didn't expect him to answer everything, but he did answer almost everything that I asked him, you know, with uh, thoughtful answers. And, and, you know, again, I'm not trying to say who's right or wrong here. I'm just trying to say, this is what, this is the best, uh, the most accurate story I could come up with that I could write. Bill, what's fascinating about the job that he inherits is uh, Ohio State now needs a men's basketball coach. There are several uh, parts of the, of the program that are that are rolling right now, including women's college basketball, which which might be in Cleveland here with us at the Final Four in just a little bit. So, uh, but then you look at at football side of things, and there seems to be a feeling that this is a you know, boomer bust year in Columbus. And the bust is anything less than beating Michigan and, and contending for a national title. So how does the, the Ross hire jive with what is perceived to be a bleeper get off the pot moment for Ryan day in Columbus? Well, look, anytime a coach is, uh, the AD is not the one who hired the coach. There isn't that kind of built in loyalty, Having said that, I don't think I think what you said is absolutely true. If they don't beat Michigan and and make a, a long run in the in the playoff and, and you know it's a twelve team playoff this year, which means at a minimum get to the semifinals, um, it'll be considered a disappointing season. And you know, because Michigan's gonna be down. I mean, we expect Michigan to be down. I mean, they they lose so many people. And Ohio State is loaded. I mean, it, it, the change in the way that people view Ohio State's 2024 team now compared to like right after the Cotton Bowl when they didn't have a, a proven quarterback and they looked like they might lose a bunch of people in the draft, blah, blah, blah. Um, they kept almost everybody. It was not realistic to keep Marvin Harrison Jr., but almost everybody else stayed. They have a quarterback. They got Caleb Downs out of the transfer portal, maybe the best player in the portal entirely, the safety from Alabama. Um, they got a center, Seth McLaughlin. They got a great running back, Ole Misses. There's Ole Miss, uh, Quinchon Judkins. I mean, they're loaded. Ohio State is loaded. They they and Oregon are clearly the two best teams in the Big Ten. Um, that's going to be an epic game in, in Eugene. Um, yeah, it's it's all there for Ohio State this year. But they have they have to do it, and it'll be a fascinating. It'll be a lot of pressure on them, but they embrace that pressure. Given that they've kind of added this pressure to themselves just with the moves they've made this offseason, what is almost like the the benchmark for Ryan Day? Obviously, beating Michigan, I think, is is an obvious one. If you lose to Michigan a fourth straight year, that's not going to go over well. But beyond that, like, do they have to win the national championship for this season to be considered a success and people to kind of still stay on board with him because they're so loaded? Um, or is it simply beat Michigan and 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 make some sort of a run in the playoff? No, I you know, look, it's it for, for anyone to say national championship or bust, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. It's really hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, think about Ohio State. I, I say this all the time. S since 1968, when they won the national title, they've won it twice since then. And they have always been not just good, but almost always great. That's how hard it is to win a national championship. Now, they are, they are star-crossed to some degree. I mean, how many times in the last, you know, several years even you say if this i mean if noel ruggles makes the kick and several other things in that georgia game happen 
you know, they beat TCU, right? There's a national championship. Um, you know, in 2019, yeah, Joe Burrow's LSU team would have been a, a you know tough game, obviously. But, you know, if not for some of the calls in the Clemson game, what would have happened that year? I mean, they've come so close. This, so to say, if you don't win a national championship, the season's a failure, it is, that's unfair. I will say, though, that beating Michigan, probably winning the Big Ten, although Oregon is very good, and, and at least getting to the semifinals in the, in the playoff is, I think that's the benchmark for what would keep this season from being a disappointment. Bill, I think it's funny. Um, Bill O'Brien and the hire was was met with, uh, let's say, mixed reviews. There were people in, in Columbus that loved it. There were uh, people that hated it. And then you get uh, Chip Kelly, who leaves to be the UCLA or sorry, leaves the UCLA head coaching position to be the offensive coordinator here. And it's funny, like I think some of what troubled people was just perception. And I hate when perception gets in the way of, of what we think of a, a specific hire. Then I'm curious, do you think that Chip Kelly is actually a better fit? Do you think Ohio State lucked into a better fit for what they want to do offensively than the guy who spent 21 illustrious days in Columbus before uh, skittering back to Boston? Yeah, with O'Brien, I actually talked to the two Penn State quarterbacks he worked with. I thought it was a pretty good story. You know, talked to Christian Hackenberg and Matt McGloin. I was like, oh, good, I've got, you know, this – insight into the next offensive coordinator and he's gone. I was like, Oh, well, um, but, but to your point, um, well, the one huge advantage is familiarity. I mean, Kelly is Ryan, Ryan Day's mentor. I mean, they don't have to get to know each other. Uh, Bill O'Brien and Ryan Day didn't really know each other. And so that's one advantage. The other obviously is Chip Kelly's history and background. I mean, he's an offensive genius although i hate to use that word i'm using that in quotes but look and it's been a while and that's the, the question it's been a while since he was at the cutting edge of of offenses when you know when he was at oregon and, and the tempo and all that but you know he is i think chip kelly is maybe a better fit as an offensive quarter than a head coach because he doesn't like the he doesn't like the schmoozing and the going to booster you know speeches and and, and even really recruiting from what i've been told um, now he can be the guy who scribbles plays on a napkin, which I think is, you know, what he loves to do. And you give him that, the X's and O's, and you give him Ohio State's talent, and you go, you know, there's the mad scientist, and what can he come up with for game plans? That'll be fun to watch. And Ryan Day knows that for the last couple of years, he's been stretched too thin, especially last year when he lost Kevin Wilson. He had nobody with real play calling experience on the offensive side of the ball. And he knows in, in an era with NIL and with the transfer portal where you got to constantly, you know, manage the roster and make sure guys are not disgruntled. And, and you got to be a CEO. You can't be the guy scribbling plays on a napkin, you know, not very much at least. And so for Ryan Day to get somebody that he knows is a kindred spirit and knows, I don't have to question whether Chip Kelly knows what he's doing. Of course he does. That's that's going to be huge, um, but the dynamic of protege becomes boss. Who knows how that works out? I mean, I'm assuming they talk about it and they're fine with it, but but that's that's not a dynamic that happens very often. Is that part of the reason why maybe he picked Bill O'Brien initially first for the job? Like, why do you think he he kind of circled back to to choosing Chip Kelly instead of Bill O'Brien and hired Bill Bill O'Brien? Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, my guess is that he probably didn't think Chip Kelly was available. 
Chip Kelly was was the coach of UCLA, and he had certainly been interested, and there was interest from the NFL with him. And so I think he probably thought, well, you know, I don't know that that's, that's likely to happen, and Bill O'Brien is likely to happen. I don't know. I haven't, you know, I haven't asked Ryan Day that. He has not told me that. But uh, I, I do know that he is very excited to have Chip Kelly, that, that people on the staff are very excited to have Chip Kelly. Uh, I think if I'm a defensive quarter in the Big Ten, I'm thinking, oh, no, <laughs> because Chip Kelly is really bright when it comes to play calling and schemes and all that. And so you combine that with the talent that Ohio State's going to have. And I put it this way, Ohio State scored only average like 30 points a game last year. I can pretty much guarantee they're going to average a lot more than 30 points next year. Bill, one, one last thing for me um, in, in relation to the offensive coordinator situation, because I, I think when Bill O'Brien was hired, one of the biggest gripes from fans was, well, what, what are they going to do about Brian Hartline? He's got to hate this, and he's got to be so upset about this, and blah, blah, blah. blah. Like, this is disrespectful. I, I, we've kind of said that we're assuming there was, there was conversations had with, uh, with Brian Hartline just about what was happening and why they were making this move where it wasn't going to ruffle his feathers. And I understand, like, he's super important to just thinking that they do at Ohio State. But what does a move like this mean for Brian Hartline? Is the hope that this becomes almost like a mentorship thing and he eventually can become a primary play caller? How do they kind of view him moving forward? Yeah, I, I think that's a pretty good assumption. Uh, you know, he didn't call the play last year. He, he had the title and he had the raise. He got the raise. Uh, but he didn't have – he didn't do what traditionally – offensive coordinators do which is call plays and so i'm i think that probably you know it's good to get a title it's good to get a raise um now he can get the the knowledge you know i don't know that ryan day had the time last year to to to, uh, to you know to give him to teach him all that stuff that's not that's no criticism of ryan hardline he'd never been asked to do it he's still a very young coach and so the idea of uh, Brian Hartline being able to learn from Chip Kelly and, and Ryan Day, I'm sure that's very attractive. You remember last year he was in demand, or we thought he was in demand for some, like, you know, big-time jobs. And Ohio State had to make a move to keep him. And that would have been devastating to lose Brian Hartline because he's, an, an, you know, the best recruiter in the country, maybe. Certainly a wide receiver. I mean, the five-star after five-star. Jeremiah Smith, the, the freshman uh, receiver from Florida, is considered a generational talent. You know, and so... um I'm sure it might be on some level disappointing to Brian Hartline. I don't know. I haven't talked to him, but I think if he takes the big picture and realizes how this can benefit him, it's, it's nothing but a a benefit, nothing but a plus. So I, we've kept you a little farther past when we wanted to. So I, I'm going to try and make these next two ones as quick as possible. James Laurinaitis is the 10th coach on the Ohio state staff. He's the new linebackers coach. There was a lot of debate about who was going to be that 10th coach. Why did it end? being James and who else was considered to your knowledge? Yeah. I don't know that anyone else was considered. I think Laurinaitis in a lot of ways, the natural fit, obviously he's a Buckeye. He's an all American linebacker at Ohio state. He'd been on the staff for a couple of years. They, they got him back from Notre Dame where he's a graduate assistant. He essentially coached the linebackers last year. Jim Knowles, the defensive coordinator, I guess technically was the linebackers coach, but he really delegated, as much as he could to James Laurinaitis last year. So in, in that way, it really is, it's, I don't say it's a no brainer, but 
it, pretty close to it. I mean, they needed a 10th person. It was going to be on the defensive side of the ball. They needed, they needed a linebackers coach. And who better than James Laurinaitis who's already in the system and has, has his history. All right. And then the whole time I've been paying attention to your guitar in the background. Uh, do we have a shredder on? Do, do, I mean, are you not just a, a, a writing whiz? You're also Eddie Van Halen and you're off time? Uh, maybe Eddie Van Halen now. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> Too soon? Uh, no, I, I, I kind of, I'm like, those, the guitars come from, from the books that I wrote. So I'm like the, I'm like the, uh, the golfer who can't hit at 150, but has the best clubs. I mean, I've got a Rick and I've got great guitars. I mean, I, I, you know, no, I'm strictly like a rhythm guitarist and, and just bang around in, in the house for fun. And my wife likes it. And I think my dog likes it. And, you know, that's, well, that's all that matters. Yeah, I have I have a guitar. We've got an electric drum set, and and mostly, uh, a lot of the instruments are for the kids to learn. But yeah. I like to keep them around as aspirations. Like one day I will pick you up and learn you. It just isn't today. Yeah. Well, I started to play a couple of years ago. It's a long story. I won't bore you with. Started to play the piano that we had sitting in our living room for twenty years unplayed. I never played piano, and I, my wife said, "You got to learn." I was like, oh, "I don't." But I so I actually self taught on piano. Wow latin way so when i play piano i feel like i'm i i this is weird i feel like i'm cheating on the guitars <laughs> <laughs> these are inanimate, inanimate objects like if i play a bunch of piano like oh the guitars are gonna feel like i've, I've neglected them it's the stupidest thing you could ever think of yeah i have a i have my uncle who passed away about 15 years ago i have his keyboard yeah, and my girls just badly want to play it because it's cool right. and it's a nice keyboard. And he was a really gifted uh, pianist. And I, I, every time I'm like, sure, wait, you know what? Maybe, maybe not right now. Maybe like in two weeks. Yeah. And I've been doing that. I mean, my oldest is 13. She's been asking since she was four. So one of these days I'll get around <laughs> to it. Uh, never too late. You're never too late, right? Bill, you're the best man. So sorry for keeping you past what we no initially problem. kind of planned there, but you did a fantastic job. Great job on the Ross Bjork piece. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, really appreciate that, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, Bill. It's at dispatch.com if you want to read it. Thank you. Excellent. All right, guys, when we come back, we'll react to what Bill had to say, and Spencer's going to play something for me to react to, but first a word from our sponsors. Excellent. Great stuff there from Bill Rabinowitz. Wow. I mean, the Ross Bjork stuff is just really, really interesting. And, and listen, this is not, I'm, I don't know you can be anti AD or pro AD. Um, <laughs> I just, I just think the, 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 the bottom line for me is I understand the reticence to hire a Gene Smith guy because you want to hire your own guy. I just think when you start to look at the concerns of the Ross Bjork hire, I, it's just it's 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 alarming to me that either the president of Ohio State didn't know or didn't care about those things or overlooked those things. And I think that's you know, I think Ross Bjork could be a great AD hire here. You never know with these kind of hires, but man, that like I just you're Ohio State. You can have anybody. You didn't even have to hire a Gene Smith guy. You you just had to hire somebody that you didn't have to worry about. And it now does feel like for the next year to five years, we're gonna be looking at Ross Bjork as kind of a Prove it to me. I don't think the AD hire in Columbus should have to prove it to you. That's probably a fair way to put it. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm torn because again, I, I, and I've, I've already been on the record on, on our show saying this, like, I, I don't know. 
I, I think the, the idea of like what, what an AD is, I think we elevate what that means. Like, Oh, athletic director. I, I think it's just kind of like a glorified position for some sort of fun, like a fundraiser. It's, it's, it's just like a, it's a fundraiser with a, with a fancy title kind of. Um, and I think if he does that well, and that's the most important part of his job, then, then yeah, I, like where, where you run into problems, I think with ADs is when, I mean, it's, it's the Jimbo Fisher situation. Well, it, it's not to say the, the, everything Bill wrote about in his piece, which again, you can find it over at the Columbus dispatch uh, website. Um, I mean, he, he, he did an awesome job covering it. Like that's the stuff you worry about the NCA violations and all these different things. And then, on the back end of it, you worry about what kind of happened with Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher, where you gave the guy an extension, didn't have an out, so now you're paying all this money. Not that we should worry about all these big boosters' money and and, and the people who can or who are paying that bill, but it's more so like how far does a a head coaching hire set you back if he's the one making that decision? So I, I think the basketball program now with um, Chris Holtman out of the picture, like what they do from here will be interesting. How much Ross has say in that, I'm assuming they're going to at least consult him a little bit because it's not just going to be Gene Smith on the way out making the hire, I would assume. Um, like what, how that, that might be sort of a test run of, okay, how does this guy do with this process? Because if they at some point do need to move on from Ryan Day or Ryan Day were to go to the NFL or something like that, you want to kind of get an idea of what he's going to do, who he's going to bring in and that you don't end up with a similar situation to Texas A&M. But, yeah, so, some eye-opening stuff from Bill, um, stuff that we didn't necessarily know the full story or the, or the full picture on. And I, I think the question I asked him is is an important one because, I, like, do you get the sense that he can he's changed from that experience? Like, do you get the sense that if he had to face that sort of thing again, he would go about it differently? And, you know, he was only, what, two years at Western Kentucky – and then he goes to Ole Miss. Like he was only in like the infancy of, of his time as an athletic director. I would hope that that sort of allowed him to see some different things and, and he would change his perspective and maybe the way he would go about that if he, would, if he was met with it in the future. I just think what's befuddling about the hire is when it comes to performance related, and maybe this is unfair, but this is how we how we judge ADs as well, not just, well, how much money can they get in the coffers? But when it comes to performance related, I mean, if if your big stuff at, at Ole Miss are you backed a crooked coach in Hugh Freeze and you then really uh, uh, kind of attacked or or uh, the suggestion is uh, directed an attack on and lie, a, a smear campaign effectively at your old head coach to make your current head coach look good, I mean, I yes, I do think it's important that you you can show that you've learned from that. I also think there has to be some sort of success that you can point to at a major program that you've that you've yeah. you know worked with. And it's like, okay, where's the major success he had that that football, basketball, or anywhere else had at Ole Miss? Where's the major success they had at A and M at literally any one of their programs at a national level? And I think that's what concerns me. Is it's like. You know, there are, I mean, listen, we, it, everything is morally relative in uh, 2024. So if he had come off uh, uh, Texas A&M winning the, the, the super, uh, super Bowl, winning the college football playoffs or being, <laughs> that the college would be impressive. If they that would be really Bowl. impressive. Like if they had beaten Pat Mahomes in the playoffs, he might be cool. the new 49ers head coach for God's sakes. <laughs> but I do think at some point, like, 
okay, the on-field stuff wasn't great. Okay, there are some concerns about how he does business. Okay, it's 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 just a lot of strikes for a guy at a job that those like like does Ted Carter understand that the the Ohio State job is one of like ten jobs that everybody's going for? Yeah, like it's it's not again. This is not anti Ross Bjork, but it's like I just I get really bugged at the the idea when a president or, or, or this happens in the NFL all the time. I wanted my guy there. My guyism fails as much as anything else in the NFL. And I understand the idea of hiring who you know. I understand comfort hires. I really do. But at the end of the day, man, it 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 just feels a little bit more icky than I want it to or that I feel like it should at Ohio State. Doesn't mean it won't work out. Doesn't mean Ross Bjork hasn't learned. I want to, you know, like everybody else, but give Ross a chance to kind of earn um, – earn his place in, in Ohio state lore. And hopefully it's not, I'm going to say this name and it's, it's a loaded kind of thing, but hopefully it's not another Andy Geiger where every way we turn around, it's another, you know, eye roll and what the hell are we doing here? I'm assuming that when you talk about like, where's the success, I'm assuming it probably, and we don't see the books. We don't know like all the money he's brought in, all these different things. I'm assuming he comes from that. Like th- to me, that has to be the bottom line where they're looking and saying this new era of college football, NIL, all this different stuff. We need to be really, really good at this. And if they want him for that reason, I can understand why. Should that be the whole story? No. Like, there should be more to a, a player or, or more to a, an AD than than just that he raises a lot of money for you. Um, but I do think on some level, like, that has to be the thing that's that that got him this job and that they're looking at and they feel impressed with. Because, yeah, like the other stuff, the old Miss stuff that, that Bill wrote about, the um, – the, the stuff with, with Jimbo Fisher, like that isn't as impressive. I did think it was interesting too, the sort of the, my, my last question of Bill, just about Brian Hartline and what bringing in Chip Kelly or, or, an, or an outside offensive coordinator means. Um, I think that was interesting and, 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 and important for fans to hear because, again, we, we, that comes up all the time, right? We see it in the comments on the 92 the Fan YouTube page where it's just constantly – well, what does this mean for Brian Hartline? Is this disrespectful to Brian Hartline? And I, I think it's important to establish that, like, maybe he doesn't love the idea that he's not going to get to be a play caller yet, but in the end it should just be a benefit of it to, to, to him that he gets a chance to, like, learn from somebody who's really good at it. So, um, And I think, I think it was interesting that he brought up, like, Ryan Day probably didn't have the time to sit down with him and, like, really help him in that realm. So now that he gets a chance to work with somebody more closely, I think that that's that's a really good thing. And hopefully it means down the line we are talking about Brian Hartland being the primary play call. So really good stuff with Bill Rabinowitz, guys. Again, check out the piece on the Columbus Dispatch. But while you and I are talking, uh, I missed uh, the show earlier this week, and you had a impassioned piece by James Franklin. And so I want to let you set it up and play it because you said you wanted to kind of get my reaction on it. Yeah. So why don't you take it away, bud? Yeah, so I talked about this a little bit in the episode I did solo the other day, but I I just thought, I mean, in some ways, we found the one thing that James Franklin's better at than Ryan Day. Like the one thing he beats Ryan Day at, he's definitely a lot more, I think, profound when he speaks at a microphone than than Ryan Day probably is. Um, And I've always felt that way. I I think that's probably part of the reason why he got the job at Penn State in the first place and why he's maybe linked to other jobs out there because he knows how to talk his way through things pretty eloquently. And I thought this was well said by him. Um, and, and I thought also it was interesting. was like from the gate, he sets the stage of like, I don't want to, I'm not going to be the next guy complaining about the money. I like that's not going to be my point here. And then he gets into kind of why the tides are kind of changing and what it all means. So I'll play you the clip. 
I want your reaction to it. I know how I felt about it. I already reacted to it a little bit the other day, and I'll follow up with what you say. But I just want to see what what your kind of thoughts were on on James's take on everything and every, everything that's changing in college football. My body's ready. <laughs> I forgot that. Uh, it'd be it'd be helpful if I turned um, down the from college. If I turn First down of the, all, let me say I this. I know really nobody wants to hear um, from college football's complaining about about the current model um, because of the money. I, and I get that. I, I, I do. So I, I want to kind of preface my, my statement. Um, but I do, I do think the Big Ten and the SEC commissioners taking a leadership role in this um, is really important because it's not – it's not headed in a good direction, really, for anybody. Um, I don't think it's 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 the right thing for players. Um, I think you guys have heard me speak on this before. I think when coaches went too far and were limiting where players could transfer to, they were abusing that. We went from one extreme to the other. You you can't tell me that it's good for the student athletes to transfer three, four times. Every time you, you transfer, the likelihood of graduating goes down. Um, I don't think that's in anybody's best interest. The ability to overcome adversity, um, I think, in college athletics is, is really important. I think we've lost some of that, the path of, of least resistance. Um, obviously, when you get into NIL, that, that's a factor. And I think what, what you're seeing is – um, my biggest concern is you're having people leave college football that would have never left college football because a lot of the head coaching positions, coordinator positions, and assistant coaches positions, it's gotten further and further away from what they signed up for. Um, everybody knew you had to recruit to coach them. Uh, there was a balance between those two, but all these other things are taking you further, further away from coaching and developing kids. And, and development is, is, is like a word that isn't even used anymore. First of all, let me say this. So, um, yeah, go ahead. So, so what was your initial reaction? What, what did you like kind of about what he had to say? Uh, I think first of all, the fact that he, you know, he didn't, he wasn't making it about the money because I think mm -hmm. so many times you hear these coaches talk out of their ass about like, oh, this, this isn't what I signed up for. And, and, and all this money that's getting thrown around, like this isn't for me anymore. And I think that's just, you know, like, that's just ignorant. Like th this is the way that the, of, of the, the, like the, the old way of doing things is the way of the dodo. Um, and I think you just got to kind of, you got to embrace it on some level. And I, I like the fact that, he, he brings up something like development, which I, I can understand why from a coaching standpoint, that would be a, a concern. And I, and, and he, there's, there's more to that clip. It was like five minutes long that he talked. Mm -hmm. um, and he kind of talked about how, you know, like I go sit in these kids living rooms and I tell them like, I want you to come to my program because I want a chance to like mold you. Like you come here and you might not play your first year, but you know, by year two or three, you're going to play and we're going to turn you into something. And and I just wonder like what the ripple effects are, because I, I think he's onto something with that. I, I do think there's something to the idea that sometimes a guy isn't just a Jeremiah Smith who's going to come here no matter what he's going to the NFL, most likely. 
they need time to sort of grow and develop before they go to the NFL. And so I think there's a, a ripple effect of what does that mean for guys going to the NFL? Are they as developed if they're constantly switching schools and going from coach to coach and program to program, if they're not taking the time to kind of get developed? And I also just, in, in relation to Ohio State, my comment was I think Ohio State is kind of the best of both worlds where they can bring in those guys that are both ready for the NFL sooner, but also they have a reputation of we want to develop you, we're going to develop you. And the proof is in the pudding because they have all these guys in the NFL that they can point to and say, well, look at this guy, look at that guy, especially at the wide receiver position, right? So I, I think what he's saying is sound and it's, it's very thoughtful and it's not just the overreaction to, oh, it's all changing. And I do think on some level he brings up like going from one extreme to the next. I've kind of said, and we can talk about this a little bit more, I think the transfer portal and, and, and how that's kind of working is is a bigger problem than the NIL stuff. Like I, the money is what it is. And I, I think it's like if you take that away, it's just going to be what it used to be, which is people are getting that money anywhere. It's just not, It's just not public, right? But the transfer portal thing, I, I think there's something to the idea that I'm not saying restrict it. I don't know what the answer is, but the idea that like, yeah, it was probably not the right answer before where it was if you transfer, you have to sit out a year, but also the idea that these guys can just transfer willy nilly. I understand it's almost like an NFL free agency thing, but I do think you're, these these players aren't necessarily always realizing the importance of staying somewhere and giving it time either. That doesn't mean like if it's a bad situation yet, yeah, get out. I get that. But I also think there's certain guys, and I think James Franklin probably was trying to allude to this, where like we want to work with you and it might take some time, but just give us the time to kind of mold you and it'll work out in the end. Um, listen, I, I thought James did a better job of talking about this with less emotion. And, and when I say less emotion, I mean less panic yeah. than other coaches have. I also think within his answer does does kind of relay what I think is a fundamental issue with how coaches are not adapting to this at all and how they think of what college football was and what college football wasn't. I think the best thing that James said in the five-minute piece you talked about was, hey, that college football you loved ain't coming back. So whatever we do in the future is going to be some sort of morphing of the two extremes. And I do think that there is there is wiggle room, and I think there's conversation piece in that. But like, in 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 that piece that you played, that two of the two of the minutes that you played are the five minutes. Well, uh, you know, guys, the chances of graduating go down from from one year to a next, or every time you graduate, which is fair. One, that is like historical data, so we don't have enough data to suggest uh, that as college football compliance departments, transfer departments, GMs, what have, you know, football departments, as they have expanded, that that we actually might be able to solve some of the educational issues that prop up when a guy goes from one school to another Two, I, I, I guess my point is education, meaning a guy getting a degree, isn't the only way this becomes successful for him. You know what I mean? Like, and so college coaches and I, I they love to flaunt. I have a 95% graduation rate and they love to go ahead. And, and that's cool. I get it. That used to be a measure of success. It's not anymore. And as this becomes big business, the educational component of this is going to be more secondary. It doesn't mean it's totally secondary, but it's it's just it can't have the same weight given the 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 changes in how players can hop from port to port and how things go. 
So, so do you think nothing needs to change then with like the with with the new this new era? Like I I, I understand like I understand that there needs to be an embracing by the by the coaches, and I 100 agree. I've been I've been advocating for players to get paid and all this for a while, and that the original transfer rules were stupid. But you, do you think like what the way it is is just it's it is it fully the coaches just have to embrace it, or is it the coaches have to embrace it while also maybe there does need to be some litigation that that changes some of the way that this stuff works i think the coaches need to embrace a flexible mindset on what constitutes success for individual players and this idea that more kids are falling through the cracks because of the the transfer portal specifically i don't think it's true like i i mean i was around in the in the iron ages all right in the early days in the prehistoric ooze of college football, the way it existed for 70 years before a hundred years before this happened. And I saw uh, to me the best guys. And I, I lived on the floor with some of these guys, my, my sophomore year in college, there were three guys that, that legitimately were NFL players. If all they had done was go to class and play football, but they didn't. And it's funny to me that coaches are okay with that guy falling through the crack. Uh, and I'm going to say one of the names because I thought the kid was brilliant. Kevin Ream was a kid that as a freshman, which it's hard to do at a spot like Bowling Green, as a freshman walked in and was one of their brightest spots defensively and had a chance to be the NFL player. He had the build, he had the athleticism, he had everything. And because of the perception of, and I, I don't want to get into the reasons why, because uh, again, that's his kind of life, his journey. But like, I saw I saw Bowling Green kind of wash their hands of the kid. So it, it's funny, like when a kid washes their hands of a school, that's ah, a tragedy and another kid fell through the cracks and he got into the portal, but he didn't get another uh, landing spot. But yet when a, when a school does that of a kid, it's totally justified. And so it's less about, hey, education doesn't matter. And it's more, okay, what are the other things that matter? How are the other ways we can set these kids up for success? For instance, when um, can we have a post-playing post career fund that we can boast to kids that, hey, if let's say you come here for two years, you transfer out, and let's say you don't land somewhere else, we're going to help you land on your feet with this fund. And that means you can come back and just be a student and we'll help you pay for it. And they've done this stuff. I mean, Maurice Claret is a famous name of a guy that's gone back and finished off his degree. But like, these are the kind of things like, I just think the idea that life begins and ends when you leave a program. I mean, I think secondary support is another way that you can, you can support these kids post playing career. But the only way you support them is if they play football for you. Well, then we get to the heart of the matter. It's not really about education. It's about football. And so I also think there's a fundamental thing here that we have to address. Coaches love the money themselves. Coaches love doing all the shit that players do every single year, every single day. But when a 19-year-old kid does it, oh, Lordy, Lord, we can't do this. This is, this is, this is unseemly. This is ungainly. Like, guys, Alabama literally lied about retaining this is Kalen DeBoer. T what is it? A month on the job. They, they delayed the hiring. Uh, they delayed uh, uh, their offensive coordinator grub going to the NFL till after yeah. Alabama got out of the 30 day window. Where's the outrage on that? 
Yeah. Like let's that, that let's was, be honest here. That was very well, shady. No, but that's happening everywhere. Yeah. Like that's literally happening. And that kind of crap happens. Right. And then but, people just kind of gloss over it. And if you don't think those two things are related, guys, don't hold the kids to a higher level of ethics. Don't hold an 18-year-old kid whose brain isn't fully formed. I know I was 18. Hell, I'm 38. My brain is fully formed. Stop holding kids to a higher level of standard than grown ass men. And, yeah. and, and these college coaches love to play college, uh, these, these, these parlor games. They love to play the shell game. They love to play. Ah, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and leave because I can, because that's my right. You got a contract. And now these same jackasses are saying, well, we gotta, we gotta get these kids under contract. Yeah. Right. We got, it's gonna well, be a two year contract. You, well, let me ask you, can they break that contract? Like you can, because are we going to start setting it up? Because clearly contracts don't mean a damn thing to administrators, to any sort of college staff, any support staff. Alonzo Highsmith, and I, this is not about Alonzo. I actually really like Alonzo. <laughs> but Alonzo Highsmith is the GM for Miami. He's helped bringing in all these guys. Half After the initial signing day, you, okay, recruits in the bag. I'm going to go work with Elliot Wolf in New England. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, well, what are we doing here? Yeah. This is happening. These well, parlor tricks and this bullshit is happening. And then they turn around. Well, they, it's transfer portal. That's a problem. Well, where's the coaching transfer portal and yeah. how that operates? So, because that is as crippling to the sport as a bunch of kids who might be making decisions based off money. Would we prefer if it was money plus education plus football? Well, and so this is why I, I, I thought this audio was profound or more profound than other stuff we've heard. I, and I didn't expect it to get you as fired up as it did because I know this topic fires you up in general when other coaches are kind of complaining. But I, I thought that this was kind of the, the middle ground argument, right? Because I do think Franklin in that clip, if whether you listen to just the part we played or the full five minutes of it, he comes off, and, and I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just, he, he's bullshitting me and I'm, I'm falling for it. But <laughs> to me, Franklin comes off as like that middle ground between no, this isn't exactly what I signed up for, but I also do want to embrace it. And uh, like I, I, there, there was a sense of like care in this tone where it's like, at the end of the day, like as a coach, I, I actually do care about my kids graduating and getting, developing them into, into football players, but also into, into men. Like you, you hear that you, it's, it's very cliche. I get it. But like, we heard that stuff playing football in high school or other sports in high school. It's like a coach values that relationship of like, I consider myself like almost another parent to you. Like I want to mentor you. I want to lead you. So I just thought like, you kind of got the middle ground with Franklin where it was this blend of, I, I understand this is the way it has to be. And we have to embrace that. But I also know like where, when I got into this field, this is where, what I wanted to get into it for how can I bring those two things together? Which is why well, I thought it and, was interesting. And listen, what I will say is I thought James had a moderate take on it and he didn't, he didn't prey on a lot of the, um, the fear based parts yeah. of this. I, I understand the, the, and I want to, I want to say like, I don't, I doubt James's ability to win in the big 10, especially now <laughs> with Oregon coming into Washington. Like yeah. I think Penn state's going to continue to fall down the pecking order. Cause I think they're a really good program, but I don't think they're an elite program. That being said, I, I guess my point is we're everybody who just focuses on transfer portal, NIL state of college football, they're being incredibly selective at which part of the picture they're looking. It's not college football is living or dying. 
It is, okay, what are the things impacting the health of college football? And when you have the college football playoffs selling for $118 million a game, the health is good. When you have what happened at Alabama, which, guys, the only reason we know what happened at Bama is because it's Bama. So if it's happening at Bama, you can best believe it's happening at every other school. Uh, not every other school, but way too many schools than we should. So when you just when, when coaches are just commenting on name, image, and likeness and transfer portal as the boogeyman, they just keep pressing that panic button. And the frustration is that is one part of what needs to be fixed in college football. And it's, and it's pointing fingers. It's, well, that's the problem over there. And it is convenient for coaches, administrators, uh, ADs. It's convenient to that that's the boogeyman when there are other things that are just as easy to clean up with. Like, honestly, I think if you're, okay, your your uh, OC is going to leave. Okay, cool. Now the, it restarts for 30 days. All right. Uh, if, if And here's another thing. If college football wanted to institute an actual hiring time frame that then allowed you, meaning that once you hire your coaching staff, you're locked in, for at least when it comes to head coaches, OCs, and DCs, these should be things that you should start talking about. So it's less that, hey, how can we fix that thing over there that terrifies us because it's wildly different than anything we've ever done, and it's more... Why don't you attack every other issue in college football to the degree that every coach is addressing, attacking, or running down name, image, likeness in the transfer portal? Because all those other things are just as significant of an issue. And by the way, uh, player movement does actually help you because it helps turn your sport into something that people pay attention more to. When a job opens up, People are having the conversation now. Hey, what what are the players that would make sense for our program? The the transfer portal is a national talking point, which means people are talking about your sport year-round. And when the transfer portal does open up, people are talking about the names that go into that portal when they're big names. So even though that's that is a silver lining of a bigger issue that has a lot of different tentacles that eventually will have to be dealt with, this idea it's just an absolute negative and nothing good comes from it. I think the families who have uh, bread on their table because of this would disagree. I think I think the fact that this, alongside the expanded playoffs, has become a huge talking point and is and has elevated college football to 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 more than just a sporadically regional enterprise. I think there's tangible benefits here. I don't see the tangible benefit to some jagoff coach delaying leaving his job. So that the, that the the school he's leaving doesn't go ahead and lose more guys in the portal. That where's the tangible benefit in that other than at Alabama? But again, I don't hear anybody I don't, anybody raising the alarms on that one. Why? Because that's about power. And when coaches have that power, that's cool. When universities have that power, ah, that's cool. When kids have that power. Well, they don't deserve it, or they're too young, or they're too immature, or they're too this, or or they're being preyed upon, some of which is true. But when everybody starts attacking everything other than NIL and the transfer portal with to the same degree that they're attacking that, we start dealing with these dipshit, disingenuous, heel-ass coaches. We start dealing with some of the big business problems within these departments, third-party bad faith actors. Like when we start to deal with that to the same degree then I'll go ahead and, and and stand down when it comes down to this absolutely false logic that NIL and the transfer portal are ruining college football.
So I think this is a logical place to take a break. I think I blacked out <laughs> a little bit there. But I, no, listen, again, I really want to commend James Franklin. He said it in a much more gentle, thoughtful way yeah. than any coach has. And, and just, that's, again, I that's why I like con- the audio. Because I, I thought it was – I just thought it was different than what we've heard. Everything we've heard to this point is along the lines of what you're saying. Oh, no, college football's over and I didn't sign up for this. And he was very thoughtful about it. It was, I don't want to talk about the money. There's some things that I think we need to do differently. This was my goal of getting into coaching. I think we have to try to blend the two. I'm willing to embrace it. We have to embrace it. I, I just thought it was well said. It was my my overall point. So. so kudos to James Franklin. I might disagree. I might think that coaches still lack flexibility, but I at least appreciate somebody not going, the sky is falling here yeah. and, and yeah. going little boy blue on us. So <laughs> we got one more segment to go, guys. We got to react to the staff changes in Columbus, but first a word from our sponsors. All right, guys, final segment of the show. That means we start off with the Michigan panic meter. We might have to we might have to put this one off for a while until it matters again because I have no panic. I'm feeling so good. I'm in the total gray. I am awashed in gray. I am floating in, like, the gray sea. I am just as pleased as punch. I think Michigan's going to get the crap kicked out of them. Come, uh, <laughs> nine, no. I actually uh, I kind of regret moving into the gray, uh, the, the dark gray, as soon as I did because – I, I, I left myself no room to move any further once the Chip Kelly hire was announced because that was the premise of the show I did on, on Wednesday was uh, basically I, I think Chip Kelly, as much as I didn't mind the Bill O'Brien hire, I actually think Chip Kelly is a better hire just because of the familiarity like we talked about with Bill. Um, so I, I left myself no room and we're both just kind of out there in the deep end of the of the gray right now. So it's a great place to be. There's zero panic in my heart. Um, no, I do want to say a quick thanks again to Bill Rabinowitz, who was fantastic earlier in the show. But the big news that we didn't uh, we got into a little bit at the end there was James Laurinaitis is officially the tenth on field member of the staff, and he is now going to be the linebackers coach. And there was a lot of scuttlebutt about other names, other positions that guys could coach. But I just think I think this is a very powerful thing for one reason. I think the two things that you can really do that boost your stock and help ele- and keep your stock elevated as a football program from the coaching staff side. One, get guys hired as head coaches elsewhere. Nick Saban. Nick Saban was the most attractive coach. Guys would go take thirty thousand dollar a year analyst jobs for Nick Saban just to be rehabbed by you know being in his almighty presence. That is the zenith. But so you've got guys that can become head coaches on the staff like Brian Hartline, I think, will. The second best thing you can do is promote from within and promote guys, like especially in Ohio State, Buckeyes. So I think Laurenitis, one, he was a phenomenal linebacker, both in college and the NFL. He probably knows more about linebacking than I most people do, like most coaches even do. <laughs> Um, and then he's got ties to the program. I love this story. I loved him as a player. He was one of my favorite Ohio State players ever. And I, I just think this is like another instance of like the heartline thing. When you've got guys that were part of your NFL pipeline that are now becoming part of your coaching pipeline, I think it makes recruiting uh, – I think it makes you even more lethal in recruiting. Yeah, no. I, I mean, I think Ohio State's done a really good job over the years 
of having assistant coaches or just coaches on the staff in general who are also Ohio State alums or, or former players. And I think that goes a long way, especially on the recruiting trail. I mean, look what Brian Hartline's doing. Um, I, I, I think that stuff matters because, you know, Ryan Day talked about it a little bit um, in, in that press conference last week. And I, and I touched on it on, on Wednesday's show. Um, just this idea that they want people at Ohio State who want to be there. And I think – and it's all kind of part of the culture that they've built or that they want to build. And when you get guys like Laurinaitis, like like Heartline, like, like the, and there's others who are, are part of the program or were part of the program and now are coming back as coaches, I think that just goes a long way in recruiting because you're going out on the trail and you have these guys who can truly advocate for, this is what Ohio State's given me and this is what we can give you. And I, you, I, I have your best interest in mind. And that that helps with that development piece that I think is so important. And, and that was an, that was another big thing I hit on in the in the uh, shadows of what of what we just talked about with James Franklin. Like he mentioned the word development, and I actually I went I, I talked about that a little bit just with Chip Kelly because as Bill mentioned, doesn't sound like Chip Kelly ca- like wants to do all the rigmarole of like oh come to my school and recruit and all the all that stuff, but he can come to Ohio State and just focus on play calling. Right, he can just focus on the offense. And Ohio State, naturally, because of the staff that Ryan Day's assembled, because of the reputation they have, they kind of take care of that that development piece for him. Like, it's not about him coming in here and being like, I have to get these guys ready for the NFL. I think that'll naturally happen just because it's at Ohio State. So it's almost like the best of both worlds in that way. And I think that can kind of go a long way. Um, I also thought it was interesting. um, Tim Walton got a, a, a promotion to an assistant head coach role which obviously on the heels of the the big the, the two big recruit the, the recruiting class for 2025 and the two big gets the two top corners in uh in the class for 2025 coming to Ohio State that's obviously a big deal and they obviously value him as a uh as a as a as a part of this coaching staff moving forward and then there was also a couple extensions that were handed out Jim Knowles got a two-year extension uh Larry Johnson got a two-year extension which that one's really interesting because we've had conversations about him and you know, how, how much longer is he going to be around the program? Is he still the, the, the savvy recruiter that he usually is, but it sounds like people still are, are, are attracted to coming because Larry Johnson's here. Um, and then Keenan Bailey got a, got a one-year extension as well. So I thought those were all interesting as well. sounds like they're really trying to build this thing towards, Hey, let's, let's have a group here that's here for a while and can really just be a foundation as we continue to recruit, continue to build. And, and chase national championships. Well, it sounds like little German agrees with his dad. Um, usually I'd call that pandering, but he's young. I'm not going there yet. Um, all I mean, right, who, guys. Wouldn't, who wouldn't agree with my takes? They're great. That's so. that's fair. Especially if his, like his livelihood is depending on it, you know, that next meal is depending on agreeing with your take. Um, all right, guys, listen, we, uh, big thanks again to Bill Rabinowitz, uh, Spencer, you've been, so flexible today and this week. I appreciate you too, buddy. It's so much fun to do this with you, but you uh, you, you came up big for me uh, this week, and I appreciate it. Don't forget, follow the Sons of the Shoe podcast wherever you get your podcast, 923thefan.com. Uh, the free Odyssey app, Apple, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast. And, of course, leave your comments here on the 923thefan YouTube page. If you're watching us there, we appreciate you. Hit that subscribe button as well. If you need more reason to subscribe and, and listen, by the way, just listen to my son in the background. Like Nick said, his next meal depends on, on as many people liking and subscribing and listening to this show.
So did you just do like the, the Christian <laughs> science fun of like, yeah, just one subscription or download. It's more like week. the, uh, it's more like, and, the Sarah and- Mc- it's more like the Sarah McLaughlin, like, you can, you too can feed a child in need if you just follow the podcast and listen every week. And his name is Little German. Here he is. And I it's just it, like you just have your kid in a diaper and he's got like Oreos all over his face. <laughs> he's crying because Elmo stopped playing. I'm telling you, <laughs> we could become like the Paul brothers really quickly if we just started guilting the crap out of people to follow the show. But no, great stuff today, buddy. Great stuff this week. And uh, we'll talk to you guys on the other side. Go Bucks.